Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love. We cannot find the words to thank you and to praise you. And Father, we right now pray that you'll open the world. And as you know, every heart and every need, and you know the plans that you have for us, we pray that your spirit may touch everyone, transform us and help us to see you, to know you, to love you, to commit ourselves. Please work in our lives, your will. May it all be for your glory. Father, we pray in Jesus' merits and we thank you. Amen. Tonight, I'm going to start with a message and I'm not sure I will be able to finish it, but at least we can start it. And um, I'm going to give a couple of stories that my wife tells me not to tell the story. She says, you encourage people to do the same. Please don't tell those stories. But nevertheless, I'm, I'm going to tell one or two. Uh, and then ask you two, three questions. And you don't need to answer except in your heart in your mind but do people change we many times we want to change and we make some decisions and some resolutions and we say i'm not going to lose my temper anymore or i'm going to eat healthy or i'm going to study or pray or whatever decisions you make whatever you struggle with whatever you know that god wants you to do uh, it, it may be something that you desire to do or maybe a sin that you want victory over and we decide and then we try and then we fail again <clears throat> and we feel discouraged and then we decide again and try again and then fail again or if it's a sin we ask forgiveness and then we do it again and sometimes people get discouraged. Do people change? Do people grow? How does it happen? Is, is it possible to experience uh, growth? Is it possible to experience righteousness? Uh, how do you get salvation? Are you sure that you are saved? Do you have the peace, the joy that salvation brings? I mean, real joy, real let me say crazy joy that you scream and jump. And, do you have that type of joy? If, if Christianity doesn't bring joy in your life, why would Christianity be attractive? I'm not saying that we should look for joy and blessings. I'm saying that we should have more peace and more hope and more joy than anybody else. We should have more victory than anybody else. We should have more power than anybody else. I'm referring to spiritual power. Anyway, and, and so we are going to explore a little of these things. Uh, I'm going to start with a story from, from my life. Uh, God created me with too many ideas. My, my head cannot stop. I mean, all the time, too many ideas. When people talk, I, I was young, I was then a student in college and so on. When people would talk, before they could finish the sentence, I had a million answers, not two answers. And, and, and not only that, I got ideas what to do, how to do it. And always, because I had too many ideas and too much energy, I did a lot of pranks. For instance, <clears throat> uh, my uncle, I was only, I don't remember, six, seven grade, doesn't matter. My uncle was fixing his car and, and uh, re fixing the muffler and that part of the car. And I talked to him and he explained me that if the muffler is closed, if you put something to block it, 
the smoke cannot get out. There will be no exhaust. Therefore, eventually the engine will choke and die. It needs to eliminate the smoke. It needs to breathe. Well, the pastor took the young people, all of us, camping. And we went just uh, short. We didn't go for a weekend. We went in nature Sunday morning and we came back Sunday night. And we had a bonfire and we ate together and we played a few games and we shared. Well, during the meal, I ate some corn, corn in a cab, you know. I, I, I put the corn on the fire, nicely turned it around, and then I ate the corn. And then I got to the middle part that you don't eat. And I got, as usually, always an idea. I said, well, this goes perfectly in the pastor's car muffler. So when nobody could see me, I put the, uh, the, the leftover of the corn, the cab, in the muffler of the pastor's car. <clears throat> Sure, that evening when everybody was supposed to go home, everybody, people got in the cars, the pastor started the car, he left. He drove only about 20, 30 meters and the car coughed a few times and then the engine stopped. Everybody stopped the cars. They went around, they lifted the hood. They looked inside, everything perfect. Nothing seemed to be wrong. And he tried again and again and again and again. The battery started to die. People looked, they, whoa, what is wrong here? I go to the pastor and in, in a wise, humble way. I say, pastor, did you pray about it? Oh, Pavel, I didn't think. You are a pastor. Come on. You should think about it. They got around the car and they prayed that God would start the car. While, while they were praying, I went behind the car and I pulled the corn from the muffler. After they prayed, he tried the car and the car started and they said, miracle. Well, uh, a young guy who didn't close his eyes during the prayer he saw me and he told the pastor and the pastor got angry. He forgot that he's supposed to have the patience of the saints and, and you will never change. You are crazy. You do pranks every day. He called my father. My mom started to cry. This kid, he, he's crazy. Look, he, we get phone calls like 20 a day, every day from the things he does. My father looked at my mom and then looked to me. He said, you know, I was that way. And my father prayed for me. He is that way, and I am praying for him. God changed me, and God will change him. And my father looked to me and said, I am praying for you, son, and I know you will change, because God has the power to change. Do people change? Uh, I was in uh, college, and uh, in a big church, I'm not going to tell you the name of the church, in the capital of Bucharest and in Romania. And uh, good people, nevertheless, uh, we had an old pastor, uh, 300 years old. I am exaggerating to make a point. I don't know if he was 90 or 95 or 99, but he could hardly breathe. He was leaning on the pulpit. <gasps> Brothers, we got to love each other. <gasps> yeah, you would think that he would die right there on the pulpit. It would take him 10 minutes to say two words and then breathing, you know, ventilating. And Anyway, and so... Uh, because the communist regime didn't allow too many pastors to go to the seminary, maybe two a year, and we had so many retiring, uh, old pastors would stay there, you know, forever. And so, because he was so sick and so old, good man, but nevertheless, uh, people would sleep during the sermon. I was at the balcony, I had a, a tube like a straw, thicker, and with rice, I would shoot in the head people who would sleep to wake them up. You cannot sleep in the church, come on. And, and, uh, old people would sleep, young people would play games uh, or look through magazines or talk or tell jokes. 
eventually I started to, to be concerned for the church. And I talked to my dad, what can I do? And my father said, there is no benefit to get upset with the church or to criticize the church. The church is the people, the people is you. If you really care, you got to do something. You should not talk about it, but do something about it. And I said, what can I do? Does the church change? How do you change a church? And my father said, well, people many times just either criticize it or they just go and tell the pastor. But they forget that God is in control. So I said, okay, what can I do? Pray. I said, oh, okay. And then I called him back. I prayed. My father said, no. Small prayers, small answers. If you really want big answers, you got to pray big prayers. People in the Bible were people of prayer. And I said, how long? And my father said, as long as it takes. You need to commit yourself. You need to invest in it. You need to sacrifice time and energy. You need to care as you would care if you prayed, if you had cancer or an accident. You need to really labor. Well, I dedicated myself to pray for the church for three months every day, half an hour. That was a big commitment. My friend, my best friend, joined me after a couple of weeks. And we, besides what we prayed alone, half an hour every day, we prayed once a week, Friday night, together. And then the piano player, a girl, she joined us to pray Friday night and every day alone. And then another two guys joined us. And then we were 11, and then we were 23, and then we were 40, whatever. And then we were eventually around 60 young people praying alone at home half an hour every day and Friday night at the church. And we started to pray for the church and we started to study together. And then we started to, as we were praying, God started to work in our lives. We started to experience God's power. We started to learn more and more. Uh, God's voice. We started to understand when God would impress us to do something. After praying together, after six months of prayer together, we started projects. We were prepared to start visiting the old, uh, cleaning their, uh, mowing the grass, cleaning their homes, uh, shopping groceries for them, cooking for them, mission trips, uh, uh, youth programs, uh, visiting the sick in hospital, the young people of the church started to turn around and be active. Eventually, the whole church turned around. A new pastor came, a young pastor. He was speaking tremendously profound sermons. The church, and we believe, I personally believe that that pastor also was an answer to prayers. Not that the previous pastor was not, he was a wonderful man. He was just very old and sick. And so the church turned around and experienced revival. <clears throat> Uh, in that time, we prayed for the church and for people. Everybody had like one or two that we would pray for. And I remember specifically, we prayed one time uh, for about three months for 11 names. Uh, roughly seven, eight of them got baptized. And those are powerful stories. One of them was in the communist regime, one of the leaders and so on. In that time, a family from the church came to me and said, it's wonderful what is happening. Our daughter left the church. Our daughter doesn't want to come back, doesn't want to even talk about God. If we mention the word God, she will not talk to us. 
she told us, if you mention church, religion, God, I will change my telephone number, my address, my Facebook account. You will never see me again. I will never talk to you again. I hate God. I, I don't want you to even bring up the subject. And they said, what can we do? Would you pray in your prayer group for her? I said, absolutely. We started to pray for her. The more we prayed for her, the more we started to care and to desire to see a change. And then we were told, don't even try to work with her. She's so tough. She will never change. She's so far. And I don't want to go in details, but she was far into many, many, uh, many things. Uh, uh, I, alcohol and this and that. I don't want to mention them, but many of them pretty bad. And I mean, probably alcohol was the smallest. And so <clears throat> in that time, as we were praying, we were impressed according to the paragraph that says, work according to your prayers. Not only to pray for her, intercessory prayer, but to ask God what we can do also to help her. She would not accept to talk about religion, a Bible study or nothing like that. And so we prayed and we learned that she loves mountains. She really loves mountains. And I got an idea because I love mountains. So I call her. I said, how are you doing? She says, who are you? I didn't say I'm your friend because she would realize I'm from the church. She would hang up. I, I shocked her. I said, I'm your enemy. She said, what? I said, yes, you hurt me. What do you want? I didn't say I want to help you because I don't need your help. I said, I want to make your life miserable. She said, how could you? You don't know me over the telephone. What can you do? I said, well, I'm going to challenge you to the limits. Do you like mountains? Yes, I do. I like mountains. Have you been in mountains? Oh, yes, in all mountains in Romania. I said, you are a baby. I can beat you. I can destroy you when we talk about mountains. If we, if, if we compete, if we, you know, I've been not only in all mountains, I've been in every cabin, in every trail, every path possible on the maps. After I finished them, marked them one by one, crossed them off, I started to find paths that are not even on the map. I've been in all of them. I know mountains that you don't even know that they exist. She says, no, nah, I don't believe that. I said, okay. And I gave her name. Do you know that location? Do you know that peak? Do you know that cabin? No, no. You know that lake? You know that waterfall? You know that? No, no. Do you know where the mountain is like this? And, nope. I said, I told you I can beat you. Do you like hiking? Oh, yes. Okay. Do you like rock climbing? Oh, yes. I said, I can beat you there too. I can, I can kill you with these things when we compare each other mountains. She says, I don't think so. I've been climbing on that rock. I said, have you been to the cross? She said, that's impossible. Nobody goes there. I said, well, the mountain is like this in on one side, but the mountain is vertical on the other side. And it's extremely tall. We talk about, I don't know, almost 2,000 meters, more or less, maybe less. And, and uh, from the top, from the cross, down in the valley, you see the river so small and the homes and the cars so small like that. It's so, so uh, far, so tall. And I said, I went there. And without a rope, she said, you are crazy. I said, well, I have pictures. And I fell from there. She says, if you fell, you'd be dead. Nobody would escape. Many people died there. I said, well, let me explain what happened. All the youth from the church, we went there. And I said, uh, I had all the normal young people. They went on the path that goes left and right and like an S. And sometimes it goes close to the edge. And you can see the, the vertical part of the mountain. But my friend and I decided not to go with the normal young people, but to go up the mountain on the vertical dangerous side. 
and I had boots like ski boots that instead of having holes for the shoelaces, they had hooks that the shoelaces would go behind the hooks. And, and my friend would go up and then wait. And then I would go up and wait. And then I would go up and help him and we would take turns. And when he was up, I slept. And as my hand slept and I fell, the hook from my boots got caught in the hook from his boots. And I was hanging like a pendulum, head down, hanging from a hook from the shoe. It, it happens that the young people were watching us climbing the mountain without a rope. And they started to scream and to pray. And my friend said to me, don't move. I was like a pendulum, my head down. And I said, I'm not moving. It's the wind that moves me. And he grabbed a rock really well, like a, like, like a, a part of the mountain. And after he got it really well, he had a stick in the other hand. He lowered the stick slowly. When I grabbed the stick with my hand, the, the hook from the boots slept and my whole body went down. And I was now hanging from that stick. And then eventually I found a crack in the mountain and I managed to recover. And she says, you are crazy. I said, I know. We have no argument. We agree in that one. Everybody says that. I, I, I said, I am used to that. So you are not the first one. We agree I am crazy. And she says, you do beat me on the mountains. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something that you will love to hear. She says, what? I said, we go in the north part of the country to some mountains that you don't even know that they exist. And I gave her the name. She said, I didn't know that there are mountains there. And there are hot springs coming from the ground and sparkling water coming from the ground. And there is uh, water that has uh, that comes so cold that you cannot even go in it. You feel that you somebody cut your legs off when you go in that water. And, and I said, the, the waterfalls and the mountains are just beautiful. It's not much explored there. We are going to go there. You want to come? She says, I would love to come. But who is we? What group? I said, well, is it from the church? I said, yes. I don't want to go. You guys, you go there and you pray and you sing Kumbaya and it's all stupidity. It's all nonsense. It's all a lie. And she said, I don't want you to try to convert me. I said, listen, I'm not going to try to convert you. Yes, you will. I said, no, I will not. Yes, you will. I said, no. In fact, if you want to come and pray and study, I'm going to ask you to leave. She says, you will not do that. I said, yes, I don't want you to come and infect the clean young people with the stuff that you do. Bring all your sins and teach them to do bad stuff. I want you to stay away. If I told her, please come, she would have said no. But if, I, if you tell them, stay away, sometimes they do want to come. You know? I said, I want you to stay away. She said, deal, I'm coming. I said, okay. She came. We went in the mountains, about 23 young people. That night, after we got there, tired, we pitched the tents. It was late. We ate a little. And then she went inside the tent. I called the other people. And we started the bonfire in front of her tent and started to sing Kumbaya, you know. Oh, she got out. You said you'll not call me. I said, who called you? Go back in your tent. And after we sang two, three songs, we started to talk about God and his love and growing in Jesus, how do we experience transformation? Is change real? Growing from the baby, spiritual babies, to the statue of fullness of Christ, to, to the spiritual maturity, from, from milk to, to heavy food, maturing 
in this Christian life. You see, in this Christian life, so many times, people think that to come to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, get baptized, is the, this is it, that's the end of the story. And that's the reason we have so many problems in our life. No victories, so many frustration. We get baptized and we still struggle after baptism. And so many problems in the church and in families. Because baptism is just being born again. When a baby is born, that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. The baby is supposed to grow. That's the reason. Because we have people that have been baptized 20, 30, 40 years ago, and they still wear diapers. That's the reason sometimes it stinks. And so, not trying to talk about anybody, not criticizing anybody, but we are called to grow continually. How does growth happen? How does it happen real? And so, we talked about that. She came out, she says, you told me you'll not talk about God. I didn't say that. I said that I will not try to convert you and I will not call you to come to our meetings. She said, I said, you remember what we said? She said, yeah, 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 yeah. But you put your group in front of my tent. So she moved her tent. Great. After short, uh, half an hour to take the tent down to strike. And then another one hour to pitch the tent and move everything. We moved the group and the bonfire in front of her tent again. And we started to preach again. Next day and next day. She said, I put three pillows on my head and I can still hear you. I said, well, what can I do? You know, please go inside. I didn't call you to be part of our uh, meetings. Eventually, she came out and she said, it's all a lie. You say that people change. But I tried. I tried really hard. And I failed every time. And I tried again and I failed until I was so guilty that I could not pray anymore and I could not go to church. I felt that I am a Pharisee, that I am fake. So I just quit. And I don't believe that prayer works. I don't believe that God answers. I don't believe that people have the power to change. I said, I fully agree with you. You do? Yes. Then why do you teach them that people change? I said, listen to yourself. You said, I fully, uh, you said, I don't believe that people have the power to change. I agree with you. People don't have that power. You cannot change your heart. You may change your behavior, external behavior for a while, but God can do it. I agree with you that we don't have that power, but God can do it. And how do you do that? I said, sit down. And I started to, to, to talk to her. Showing her examples in the Bible, Rahab, Ruth, Mary, the woman at the well, the thief on the cross, Zacchaeus, Paul. Again and again, the same steps, how God has the power to save the uttermost, how God has the power to transform. And he doesn't take you and then drop you in the middle of the road. He is able to finish what he starts. And though you may not understand how he does it, when he does it, though you don't deserve it and you are not able to do it, God has the power to do it. And she said, do you think that that's possible for me? Absolutely, I believe so. Long story short, we started to pray together with the group, together with her every day, to study every day after that trip. She joined the church, she got baptized. She came back to church, she went back to school, medical school, she became a doctor, she got married. Her life took a different turn. Do people change? This was just introduction. Right now, let's start. How transformation takes place? How, 
How do you grow more and more in, in, in righteousness? How do you experience salvation? What is salvation? Many times we talk about righteousness by faith. And while we talk about it, we try to do righteousness by works. We try to do something in order to feel good, in order to feel that we deserve. And if we do something bad, we don't feel that we can pray. But if we do something good, then we can pray. As what we do would give us merits. We don't go to God based on what we do and who we are. We go to God based on what he has done and who he is. More than that, salvation is not what we do. It's not an action. Salvation is a person. It's not what you know. It's not what you do. It's who you know and who lives in you. Salvation is a person. <clears throat> Righteousness is many times in the Bible translated in two different ways. Righteousness deeds, what you do, and righteousness relationship. How close are you to somebody? God expects us to be righteous in our relationship with him so he could work in us the growth. There is no growth without righteous, perfect relationship. The Bible says that none are perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. All, all have sinned. All means all. All, all except politicians, for sure. <clears throat> all have sinned. That means that nobody is perfect. That means that nobody deserves salvation. That means that even if you manage to be perfect from now on, you still die because of the previous sins. We all sin. Many people have died that I know that are not perfect. Good Christians, but still not perfect. And they will be in heaven. How do you explain that? Well, we'll go through that step by step. Have you been to camp meeting? Have you been to church? Is it good or bad? Absolutely good. We should not miss church. We should not miss our assemblies. Jesus used to go every Sabbath to the synagogue, as our example. Uh, do you keep the commandments? Are they good? Absolutely. God gave them, not me. Uh, do you keep Sabbath? Hopefully you do. Is it good? Absolutely. Do you eat healthy? I hope so. Except ice cream. All of this that you go to church, that you teach Sabbath school, that you sing in the choir, that you go to camp meeting and you eat tofu and you know the doctrines and you know the 2300 days and nights prophecy and you know the state of the dead and <clears throat> uh, all of this, are they important? Absolutely. Do they save us? No. You can do everything and yet be lost. Salvation cannot be purchased. Salvation is not by how many credits you get, how much you do. Salvation is the gift of God. Listen, we are saved by grace through faith, says in the Bible. And we will put the Bible verse. Uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 2 that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. is none of yourself. It is the gift of God. We'll put the Bible verses a little later on the screen. We are saved by grace through faith. <clears throat> how many years have you been an Adventist? Or how many years have you been going to church? Or a Christian, doesn't matter what church. 5, 10, 20, 40, 50 years? 
Are you perfect? As perfect as God? We will talk more. The subject is so large to take several sermons. We will talk more. Are you perfect? Let me explain something. How do you get victory? As many times people say, I cannot go to prayer. I cannot go to church because I've sinned. It's like saying, I cannot go to the doctor because I am sick. That doesn't make any sense. You don't go to God because you are perfect or when you are perfect. You go to God because only he can grow you and save you and change you. Now, let me explain. Many times when he talks about righteousness or perfection, he talks about perfect relationship. You will not expect your two-year-old son or daughter to be as perfect as you are. But you'd expect them to love you perfectly and you expect them to grow gradually and do good at their level. You not expect a first grade school student to be as perfect as one that is in college, but you'd expect him to be good, to do good, to do his best at his level. Now, <clears throat> that means continual growth. Every step from being born again to salvation, to heaven. It's only in God's power. Paul says, I can do all things in Christ. And the key word there is in, in Christ. He who has Christ has life. He who has no Christ has no life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The key is in Christ. We will talk about salvation as a process. <clears throat> Until then, let me continue a little how do we grow? How do we acquire righteousness? How do we, how does growth happen? How do we get salvation? <clears throat> In the spirit of prophecy, Abraham is given as an example, the father of the faithful, the father of the righteous. And it says there that, God talked to Abraham and told Abraham that he will have so many children like the stars. And Abraham believed God. And the fact that he believed, <clears throat> it was considered to him as righteousness. When you pray and ask God for victory, do you believe, though you, you know you cannot do it, you know you have failed before, you know you don't deserve it, you don't understand how it can happen to be born again, to get a new heart. How, how transformation, how does it happen? You cannot do it. You don't understand. You don't deserve. But do you believe that God will answer? And you rejoice and you say, I don't know it. I cannot do it. I don't deserve it. But I know that God will do it because he promised. And God loves me and he doesn't lie. I know I can count on his promise. Do you believe? that God is able and God will fulfill his word to the point that you rejoice. You see, my son, the youngest one, <clears throat> saw me coming home. He was only three years old, coming home on motorcycle, and I like motorcycles. Dad, I want to I wanna have a bike just like yours. I said, son, this is so big. It has four cylinders. You cannot even get on the bike. Moreover, to ride it, this is, can kill you. I mean, this is heavy. Dad, I want a bike like yours. Son, I can get you a bike that is a toy. No, Dad, please give me a real one, a big one. I said, son, 
I'm going to get you a Hot Wheels $2 one. No, 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 no. I want the real deal. I want big. I want to grow and to have a bike. So I said, son, this is how you start. You start with a small one. Dad, a small one, I cannot write. I want one to be able to write. I said, okay, we get one with remote. At least you can play. No, I want the real deal. I said, son, you cannot. But this is what I can do for you. I can get you a bike. I will do it for you. You cannot even get a small one, moreover a big one. I will get for you one that you can ride, but it doesn't have an engine. It's just in the beginning as you grow. It has pedals and it has three wheels so you don't fall. No, dad, I'm not going to fall. Oh, yes, you'll fall, but I'm going to put three wheels there. I'm going to buy one with three wheels to protect you until you learn more and you get a bigger one. <clears throat> dad, can I ride it? Yes. And it has pedals. Yes. And it has three wheels. Yes. And I can get on it. Yes. Can, my, can you make sure that it's blue? Yes. When are you going to buy me that bike? I said, tomorrow, when I come from work, you'll have it. In that second, in that second, he started to scream like crazy. He stormed through the door, screaming. He ran in front of the building. He called everybody, come around, come. All the kids from the neighborhood came. And he said, it's unbelievable. I have a bike. It is blue. It has three wheels. It has pedals. It's just beautiful. They said, can we see it? It comes tomorrow. He was already rejoicing. Jesus says, when you pray, believe that you have received it. And you will have it. Think about it. God told Joshua, I have given Jericho in your hands. And that was before Jericho failed. That was before God gave them Jericho. And God didn't say, I will. God says, I have given. Past tense, done, deal. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows that, that, that he is able to do it. He knows that he will give you victory. And you need to believe that God loves you and he is able and he does what he promised. And you need to rejoice. Anybody can rejoice after it happens. Faith is when you rejoice before it happens. And so, Abraham believed God. And if we take Abraham as a parallel of spiritual growth and salvation, let's draw a parallel. How Abraham tried, for instance, to get children, and God gave him the children because he could not, and draw a parallel with Abraham's attempt to get children in his power, and our attempt to get righteousness in our power. And if we put these two things parallel next to each other, we learn a precious lesson. Abraham, let's suppose, went to Loma Linda or Southern or Andrews or Walla Walla, whatever. And he being in college, he saw Sarah. And he was like, wow, she's the most beautiful thing on two legs. I mean, she is just amazing. He was open mouth as when you go to the dentist. And, and, and he says, I'm, I want to date that girl. And he started to bring flowers and they talked and they started to date and they fell in love. And he said, I want to marry you. And one day he proposed. And she said, yes. Beautiful story so far. And they finished school. And after they finished school, they moved to Florida. And they got a job. And Abraham said to Sarah, we finished school. We got a job. We have a salary. We have a house. We have, a, we have some stability in our life. Now it's time to have babies. <clears throat> Remember, we draw a parallel with how we try to grow, to get righteousness, to get salvation. He says, now it's time to get babies. And they tried really hard. No results. As we try honest and hard, really hard, again and again, and we fail again and again. 
And after they tried, they decided, you know, if we eat broccoli and tofu, we may get pregnant. Is it wrong to eat broccoli and tofu and green beans? It's beautiful. I love green beans. If you have a green beans dish, please invite me. <clears throat> I love a big salad. You put a little salt and a little lemon and a little olive oil. I can eat forever. Nevertheless, it doesn't save you. It's good, but it doesn't save. It doesn't give you any merits. You cannot pay for Jesus' blood on the cross. He cannot pay even for a day in heaven, moreover for eternity. So they said, maybe if we eat healthy, we get babies. So many times we say in the church, maybe if I do this and that and that, maybe I get better. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking against healthy food or doing things for God. We should eat healthy. We are the body, the temple of the spirit. We need to have a clear mind to understand when God talks to us. We need to have a healthy body to be able to serve. We need to eat healthy, but it doesn't save. And so they said, you know, we try to eat healthy to get babies. We still don't get babies. Let's try different. Let's go to the best seminars on how to get pregnant. And they went to Mark Finlay and they went to Dwight Nelson. They chose the best of the best, good speakers, dedicated speakers, God's people. And they listened to all the possible seminars on how to get righteousness. I'm sorry, how to get babies. <clears throat> and still, they didn't get pregnant. Excuse me, my voice is giving up on me. And so they didn't get pregnant. And so many times, seminars are good. We should learn. We should grow in knowledge. Nevertheless, it doesn't save us. So many people know so much, and yet they struggle. And so then they went to the best possible doctors and they got pills and this and that. They went to Cincinnati to that clinic uh, that would help you to get pregnant. Still nothing. And they tried for one year and two years and they kept failing and failing and failing. And after you fail so many times, you start becoming discouraged. And either you leave the church or you become a little fake. Happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. How are you? Great. How are you? Great. God bless you. And inside we hurt and they are not so happy. And you can see it on their faces. If we have Jesus, shouldn't that be enough reason to have joy? Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul was in prison and he was singing. If you have God, isn't that enough reason to rejoice and to have peace and assurance? Is it because God doesn't love us or doesn't have power? Or because we may have a theory of God, but not the presence of God, not the peace and the power of God. And so they tried any type of pills and they tried any type of treatment and they started to get discouraged. And eventually they gave up. And you keep going to church, but inside you know that you keep failing. When Abraham was 75, and Sarah, 65, the Bible says way behind the time of, getting, of being pregnant. Sarah was too late. She could not have babies anymore. She basically, uh, I'm trying to remember the, 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 the English word, but it was behind the time that she could get pregnant. 
Anyway, when they were old, have you seen somebody 75? Do you imagine them getting pregnant? When they were old, God talked to them. Why would God answer so late? God wanted them to know that they cannot do it in their power. There is nothing, no credit that you can take. It is all God's grace, 100%. And I'm going to give you an example to, to illustrate a little better that, to make it a little more clear so anybody could understand. God wanted them to know that it is all grace. It is all a gift. It is all his power. It's not that, oh, I did something too. Yes, we do have our part. And we will talk about that too. But what is our part? That's very important to know. And so, <clears throat> when he could not do it anymore, <clears throat> when they could not get pregnant anymore, then God talks to him. And God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to give you a baby. God says, I'll give you so many babies and so many children that your descendants will be like the stars. You could not count them. Now, if you're 20 and God tells that, you say, well, I may get about 15, 20 children in my life. But when you are 75, that doesn't make much sense. First, doesn't make any sense to get pregnant. Moreover, to have so many descendants like the stars. But the Bible says that he believed. If you, if you go there, he says, Abraham believed, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was created to him as righteousness. If you go in Genesis, in chapter 15, I believe, he says, when he says it was credited to him as righteousness, the Hebrew translation says, in that instant, God considered him as righteous as God himself. When you believe in God, in that moment, in that instant, God considers you as righteous as God himself. Can you grasp that concept? It's not that you are righteous. We still stink. But God considers you righteous. That's justification is not sanctification is not glorification it's only justification god considers you righteous we'll talk tomorrow a little more about justification sanctification glorification what are they and how they happen and so god considered him righteous in that moment when when you believe in god in the moment when you confess the bible says if you confess god is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse if you do your part it's a conditional god will do his part if you confess, why do you think that God doesn't forgive? Why do you confess and then struggle and confess again the same sin? Am I forgiven? In the moment you confess, in that moment, God forgives. In that moment, when you confess with broken heart and say, I'm sorry, God takes, if you believe in him, in the power of the blood, the blood of the lamb, his blood is sufficient. Even if your sin is like Mount Everest, his blood is like the universe. You don't even see Mount Everest from the universe. He, in the moment you confess, in that moment, he takes your sinful coat, dirty coat, and puts it on Jesus. And takes Jesus perfect, divine, white like snow, perfect, divine righteousness, and puts it on you like you never did it. And he considers you righteous. That's amazing grace. And so, Abraham believed that God keeps his promise and he rejoiced. And because of that, God considered him in that moment righteous. Abraham was not righteous yet. Later, you look, he said that his wife was his sister. Later, he slept with Agar to help God to give him children because God is old and doesn't have enough power to do what you need. God needs help. He, he was not righteous yet. He was still growing, but God considered him righteous. Abraham was in the beginning of the process, was not at the end, not in the middle. He just 
started the growth. He, still, he was still a baby, but God considered him righteous. We need to get the concept that as long as you remain in God, as long as Jesus is in you, working, salvation, it's a process. The spiritual prophecy says that sanctification, it's a lifelong daily process. It's a process. As long as Christ in you, the hope of glory, he who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. The, the, the tense in that verse is present continuum. He who calls, he who, he who keeps on calling every day, Lord, I cannot do it alone. Please come into my heart. He who keeps calling the presence of the Lord in his life every day, Lord, come into my heart. Come, I cannot do it alone. But I can do all things in you. If you are with me, I have no fear. Please come. Please take over. I need you. If you keep calling his presence, if Christ is in you, he who has Christ has life. As long as he is in you, he who has Christ has life. You cannot die. I'm talking about the second death. I'm talking about salvation, eternity. You cannot, if you have Christ, you are alive. He who has no Christ has no life. Therefore, doesn't matter if you are in the beginning of the process, like the thief on the cross. If you are in the middle of the process, like you, like me, or if you are at the end of, of the process, like Paul says, I fought the good fight. Doesn't matter where you are, as long as you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and he's working on you, you are saved. Not because you are perfect yet, but because Christ is in you and because of his presence and his merits. You are saved because of his merits. Therefore, while we should desire to grow, we should not worry about salvation. We should worry about relationship. As long as you are in the process, as long as he's in you, working in you, you are safe. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Clear Bible verses. And so, Abraham believed, and it was created to him as righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It's by grace that we have been saved, through faith. The gift of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes must believe that God is, and he is rewarder of those who seek him, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You must believe. But somebody may say to me, Pastor, I want to believe, but I struggle, I doubt, I, I don't have faith. What can I do to believe? You see, the Bible says clearly that God gave everyone, everyone means everyone, a measure of faith. God gave everyone a measure of faith. So you do have a measure of faith. And Jesus says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Basically, if you have Little faith is wonderful. But Jesus, if you read carefully the Bible, verse says that that mustard seed grows into a big tree. Jesus wants to underline that when you exercise that little faith, when you put God to test, when you stretch out your faith, when you step out in faith, as you see how God works, as you taste and see how good he is, as you experience him, you learn to know him and to trust him. And by studying and by prayer and by experiencing him, by exercising faith, you grow, you develop that faith. Whatever flower you water, that flower is going to grow. As the more you nurture faith, the more you exercise, the more you pray and study, the more you know God, the more you experience him, the more you learn to trust in him. And that faith grows into a big tree slowly. It's a process. And so, going back, and our time is almost up, not yet. 
You see, he says that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus in Romans chapter 3. Right? There is none righteous. None. All have sinned. He says that, listen carefully. It says we have all been charged, Jews and Greeks, all under the sin. There is none righteous, not even one. But righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I want you to hear. Righteousness is given to how many? In Romans chapter 3. To all who believe. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are all justified freely by his grace, amazing grace, wonderful grace that came by Christ Jesus. Now listen carefully. Some people think it's cheap grace. There is nothing you should do. Oh yeah, it's not cheap. It was so expensive. It cost the life of Jesus. And you should do something. And I'm going to tell you later what is our part. Now listen carefully. Righteousness is received by faith to those, all of those who believe. And it's exclusively only in Jesus, nothing that you do. Our tendency is to do good in order to feel good, in order to feel that we deserve. That's paganism. You do something to please the gods. Paganism, and I'm not criticizing them, or Catholicism, and I'm not criticizing them. There are wonderful people among them. I'm talking about the system. Paganism says, the Paganism have idols. They replace God with things. Catholicism have icons. They replace God with what you do for God. Doesn't matter if you replace God with things. Money, uh, you have other gods. Uh, TV, music, sports, or if you replace God with the things that you do for God, it's still not good enough. You need to have God. You cannot replace him with anything. Now, listen carefully. Even if you're Superman, and from now on, you did perfect, you still cannot be saved because of what you do or your righteousness. Salvation is only in one name, and that's in Jesus. Let me ask you, when was righteousness when was righteousness credited to abraham after he left his country because he left it hey god told him to leave and he didn't go to the best richest country in the world he went to the wilderness you know he was rich he, he was influential when god said leave if god told you to leave everything your job your house and would you i'm not so sure about it and so was it was he cast the righteous because he left he sacrificed all was he considered righteous when he sacrificed his son because, because he sacrificed his son? When was he considered righteous? Before he sacrificed his son, before he left his country, when God called him in the beginning. God said, I'm going to give you so many children. And he says, Abraham believed. Before he did anything, he was considered righteous. But he was expected to grow. This is what people fail to understand. God expects you to grow from babies to spiritual maturity, to the status of fullness of Christ. And God helps you grow. He does the growth through his spirit. And we will learn about how does it happen. So he says in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham, God called Abraham outside and said, look to heaven, can you count the stars? So shall your descendants be. And then he says there, Abraham believed God and it was kind to him as righteousness. 
Now listen carefully to Romans chapter 4. Abraham, contrary to any hope, any human logic, any hope, he still believed. He didn't say, Sarah is 65. And, and she is long past the time when she could get pregnant. And she got into menopause and then she basically is too late. He didn't think about impossibilities as we do. We go through a crisis and we say, this is impossible. He didn't look to the problems. He didn't look to challenges. He didn't look to impossibilities. He looked to God. When you look to the problems, you get discouraged. But when you look to God, you have joy. Think about it. King Saul, he was taller than anybody in Israel. When he looked to Goliath, he got discouraged. David, he was small. He was 16, 17, whatever. He didn't look to Goliath, to the giant. He looked to God. He says, I come to you in the name of the God that you have marked. And I don't come to you like you would swore that I come in God's presence, in God's name. David put his eyes on God. When he looked to God, Goliath seemed pretty small, like a baby. Abraham didn't look to impossibilities, didn't look to problems or challenges or cancer or lack of loss of job or, or failure. or He didn't look to the problem. He put his eyes on God. When you see God, your problems somehow become really small. When you, the, the bigger God, the more you understand God, the more you understand God's size, God's love, infinite, unbelievable love, the more you understand God's power and God's wisdom, the more you understand God's promises, how secure they are. God cannot lie in front of the universe. He promised something. It is secure. It's yes, amen. The more you understand how God has worked in the past, the, the smaller your problem becomes. People that have big problems, they have a small God. I'm not saying that if you have a big God, you don't have problems. You do, but you are not afraid because you are not alone. God says, when you go to the waters, I will be with you. When you go to the fire, well, if you go in the lions, then if you go in the fire, I am with you there. You are never alone. I will not, never leave you, nor forsake you. I have inscribed you on my palms. Even if your parents will forget you, I will never do that. When you look to God, you have no fear. You have peace in the midst of the storm. You have joy. Rejoice even in your trials. The reason people struggle is because they have a very small God, only a theory of God. And so, back to the story. Abraham looked to God. He didn't look to his impossibility and to Sarah to have babies. He looked to God and he said, I don't need to understand. Some people don't believe before they understand. They, they try to have logics in order to believe. Don't try to understand God. You'll never understand God. Try to know God in order to believe. You'll never believe before you know him. The more you know him, the more you trust in him. You cannot trust a stranger. Try to have a relationship. And so Abraham had a relationship with God. He knew God enough to say, hey, I know God. He can say, he says, let there be light. Phew, there is light. He can say, have a thousand children. Instantly, they just appear. I, I don't need to understand how he does it. I need to know him enough to trust in him. Abraham believed that in spite of the impossibility, God is able. Listen, it says there in the Bible verse, not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, rejoicing. Wow, I have so many children. Whoa, he started to sing and to jump giving glory to God, praising God, 
being fully, listen carefully, fully convinced. This is absolutely important. Being fully convinced that what God promised, he is able to perform. I don't need to understand how I need to trust in him. Therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. The problem we have in our struggles, the biggest, is that we don't know our God. And the solution to our problems is not to solve the problems, but to know God. Eternal life is to know. It's not what you do, it's who you know. The more you know God, the more he can work in you. And you'll do, not to be saved, but because God lives in you. And so listen carefully. The problems that you try to solve, while they are real problems, they are not the problem. The real problem that you should desire to solve is relationship. Our time is up. I want to finish. We didn't go really to the most important part. Uh, uh, we, we just did literally 16 out of 40, 44 slides. We didn't go to the most important part to, to learn how growth happens. We did just get a glimpse into it. But growth is real. Salvation is real. If we go to church and believe theoretically in God and don't have the joy of salvation, we lose our time. If church doesn't have an effect on our lives, doesn't provide growth and peace and joy, then we lose our time. God is real. He is able. He is love. And what we need, we need his real presence to fill our lives from morning to night, continually to be filled with his presence. That's the greatest need that we have. I remember specifically when uh, I was talking to my father, I was a little struggling because uh, I worked for, a, uh, we don't have time for the story, probably I'll give tomorrow the story. I worked for an engineer to cut some glass and he cut my salary. And uh, it was good money. It was like three months salary. I will tell the story tomorrow. And I was praying that God would solve the problem and get my salary. And my father would get my attention again and again and say, the real problem is not your salary. The real problem is your relationship. You pray the wrong prayer. And the, the more you pray, the more you struggle. You need to understand what you need to pray for. You need to understand what you really need. You focus, you stress over wrong things. Your stress should be different. The more you focus on your problems, the more problems you have. You need to focus on God, son. I will tell the story tomorrow. I believe, I strongly believe that not only that God is able, but I believe that the more you know God, the more you experience power, the more you experience joy, the more you experience peace. I remember one of my former church members, I'm not going to tell the location or the name. He had quite a challenge in his life. Tough times, crisis. He lost his job. Several people were uh, laid off there uh, because of the economy in that time. His wife had a surgery on her shoulder and the surgery didn't heal for some reason. And she went back to the doctor again and again, a month, two months, three months, six months, the bone would not heal. 
She was in terrible pain. And you can take pain for a day or a week, but not for six months, day and night. Excruciating pain. And she lost her job too. And they had a grandchild. Uh, and the grandchild died a week after being born. And they, had, they lost jobs. They were sick. They, they had so many trials lately that they were totally disparate. And it seemed that the more they were praying for relief and for comfort and for help, the less help and comfort they would get. In fact, when it rains, it pours. Trials kept coming and coming and coming. Their car broke. Their, they could not pay mortgage anymore. They were losing house. Everything was falling apart. <clears throat> I was preaching. I was in Monterey, California, to a meeting of the ministerial of the NAD giving a prayer seminar. <clears throat> and while I am preaching, uh, I got the day before a new cell phone because my old cell phone broke. And I didn't have time to play with it to know how to do this and that. And so I knew how to turn it off, but it was still vibrating. And so it started to vibrate in my pocket and it was distracting me from the sermon. And so <clears throat> I took the telephone out and I turned it off altogether. Well, after I finished preaching, I went to the hotel room. I turned the telephone on. Brother, 16 voice messages and about 20 or more text messages. First one's kind and next a few discouraged and next mean and really bad after. Pastor, please answer the phone. Pastor, why don't you answer the phone? Then, Pastor, you never answer the phone. And then, you pastors never care. And then, oh, and he got really, you know. And so I called him. I said, what's the issue? Why don't you answer the phone when I'm struggling? I said, I was preaching. Why don't you say so? I said, duh, how could I say I was preaching? I called you back. I said, what can I do for you? Pastor, you know how many problems and you know how big. And I am praying and I, I have more and more problems and God doesn't seem to answer. Why, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Why, pastor? And I said, you know, God probably doesn't like you much. Pastor, are you kidding? God loves us. I said, I know. But this is what you imply. Why doesn't God answer? Isn't, isn't what you say? Oh, no, no. Oh, yes. Theoretically, you believe that he loves you, but practically you wonder why doesn't he answer? So you are doubting God. Oh, no, no, I'm not doubting him. I said, well, listen to yourself. Pastor, can you help me? I am doubting. I am struggling. Okay, can you help me? So my friend, tell me what you pray for. Well, for the last six months, I've been praying for these troubles. I said, my friend, you are supposed to cast all your needs upon the Lord. Not to show them and then put them back on your back and carry them. To cast there, the translation from Greek is as you throw rocks, to cast rocks, to cast your worries about him. It means to throw them so far that you cannot take them back. They are not yours. You give them to him and you cast them at, at him. They are his problems, not yours anymore. And after you give him, you know him so well. You know that he loves you. You know that he has the power. He has the wisdom. He is able. And you trust in him that he will deal with it. And you can move on and have peace. You can forget about those needs because you trust in him. I says, how do you do that, pastor? I said, this is the problem. It's not a problem. While you have real problems, the real biggest problem is relationship, my friend. You don't know God enough. And that's the reason you struggle. He said, what can I do about it? I said, very simple. I want you to pray differently. For the last six months, you have been focused, focusing on problems and asking God to solve the problems. I'm going to ask you to do something different. I want you tonight and tomorrow morning when you pray 
After you say, Lord, you know my problems. You don't need to be informed. You know everything. I give them to you. Now they are yours. They are your problem. They are not mine anymore. I want you to say those words. Pastor, it doesn't make any difference if I say it or not. Yes, it does. Because the way you talk influences the way you think. I want you to say those words. I give them to you. They are yours. And now, Lord, I trust in you. Pastor, but I doubt. I don't want to lie. I want you to say that you trust. Like the man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to trust in you. Read in the spirit of prophecy. Faith is not a feeling. I don't feel that that God's love has nothing to do with your chemistry, your mood, your feelings. God loves you when you feel it, and God loves you when you don't feel it. Faith is not a feeling. I want you, faith says there, it's a mind decision. It's a decision. It's a mind decision. You decide, though you don't understand. It's impossible from a human perspective. You decide to trust. You say, Lord, I'm going to decide to trust in you. I don't know how you'll do it. From a human perspective, it's impossible. I don't see any light. I don't see any hope. I don't see any solution. I don't have any power. I don't have any ways. But I'm going to decide to trust in you. You do have ways. I trust in you. I want you to say those words. Lord, I trust in you. And now, Lord, I want to thank you. I don't know how you'll do it, but I know that you love me. You gave Jesus for me. So I want to thank you for solving this. Now, I want you to know, answer to prayer is not when God does what you say, but when God does what he knows that is best. So God may answer in a different way. But if you knew the end from the beginning, you choose the same. Because God knows the whole picture. God knows the future. God knows what you don't know. And God has in mind also your eternity. And so I said, I want you to say, Lord, I trust in you. Then I want you to praise him. Instead of praying one hour, presenting your problems, I want you to pray one hour or whatever, 15 minutes, by praising, Lord, I thank you for answering. Lord, you are wonderful. I cannot believe. Angels praise you day and night, and I was complaining and whining in my prayer instead of praising you. Oh, Lord, I want to thank you. And then I want you to take 10 Bible promises and read them to God. Why would I do that? He knows them. He knows the Bible. You don't do it because God lost his memory. You do it for you. It reminds you that you can trust in him. I want you to read them by pastor. Hey, then don't call me if you don't listen to me. If you call me for help, do what I say. Can you try? You prayed six months your way. Can you try to pray one time the way I say? Can you at least try it? See the results? Well, I guess I can try it. Okay. Read them Bible promises loud to God. The more you focus on his promises, the more you get courage. And then I want you to tell God what he has done for you in the past. Bless the Lord of my soul and do not forget any of his benefits. We have nothing to fear unless we shall forget how God has led us in the past. Tell him, Lord, I remember. Don't say, oh, thank you for everything. No, generic. Be specific. Lord, I remember when I lost my passport and I prayed and you helped me. Lord, I remember. Specifically, but what if I don't remember? Ask the Lord to remind you because you had had experience with God in the past and you forgot them. People forget the good stuff. They remember just the trials. I want you to praise God for 10 things. And then I want you to call somebody and tell them the 10 promises and tell them the 10 experiences that you had with God in the past. And what does he do? I said, just do it. Just do it. Well, I'm not sure. I said, do it. Will you promise that you do it? Yes, I'll do it. Next morning, around 6 a.m., he called me. I mean, come on, brother, my time for study. He called me, pastor, I could not wait anymore until late. I, can, I, I need to tell you. I said, okay, tell me what happened. Your wife got well. Not yet, no. You got a job. No, 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 no. What happened? It's first time in my life of being an Adventist when I have peace in the midst of trials. I said, tell me more, my friend. He says, 
I started what you said. I didn't make much sense. I just started because I promised you. But the more I praise God, the more I actually started to rejoice and to forget my trials. And the more I read the Bible promises, the more I started to, to have peace and to be ashamed of myself that I don't trust God. And to remember what a God we have. And the more I read the promises, the more I realized what a God I have. And he says, when I started to remember and to tell God how he has worked in the past, I realized that those are real crises. If God solved them, he's able to solve this. And I need to focus on him. And my lack of faith is what limits God. Without faith, it's impossible because I have no faith. I don't allow God to work. Moreover, I realized that I need to tell somebody. So I called a co-worker that lost his job too, lost his wife to cancer and his son in a car accident. So I called him. I said, I want, to, I want to share with you what God has done for me, 10 stories and 10 Bible promises. And he said, you don't know what you have done. What? My life didn't make any sense. I lost job. I lost my wife. I lost my son. I took the gun, loaded the gun, put it at my head. And in the moment I was ready to pull the trigger, the telephone started to ring. I said, well, I guess I can answer the phone call. And it was you. How could you trust God so much when you lost your grandchild, you lost your job, your wife lost her job, she's sick. How can you still trust God and have so much joy and so much peace? I wish I had the joy that you have. You gave me so much courage. You gave me reason to live again. Pastor, I have peace. I have joy. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I know God and that's enough. Sure enough, short after, they found what was wrong with the wife. He got a job. She got a job. But he changed his perspective on his life. He had peace. My friends, my time is way over. I need to stop this second. The real problem that we have, it's a lack of knowledge of God, a lack of relationship. And that's what we need to focus on. Because God's presence changes everything. God's presence is all that matters. To know God is life eternal. Let's pray together. We'll continue tomorrow. Father in heaven, what a privilege that Jesus wants to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That you want to be with us. You want to, to abide in us and we to abide in you. And you tell us, without me, you can do nothing. Separated from me, you can do nothing. But if you are in me, you will produce much fruit. Oh, Lord, please help us understand the blessing, the value of being connected with you, of walking with you, like people in the Bible. Help us understand and desire your presence as a deer desires water. Help us thirst for you. Help us understand that this is the real hope, Christ in you. And help us seek your presence more than we seek healing, more than we seek jobs, more than we seek help. Though those things are necessary, help us seek you more than anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord. We believe that you already answered, you are already working on it, and we praise you. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.